You're listening to the Mining and Energy Union podcast. Yes, you are. I'm Tim Brunero. Well, industry safety and health representatives, or check inspectors, or checkies as they're sometimes known, have the most important job in the coal industry. They're employed by the union and are responsible for forcing companies to maintain their safety standards. Their job is to keep coal workers safe. You'll meet two industry safety and health representatives on this episode, Jason Hill from Queensland and Tony Watson from New South Wales. ISHRs have a number of duties. You'll learn more about that in this episode. But the most difficult one is to attend sites if there's been an accident. Queensland President Steve Smythe was an ISHR and is still haunted by a case from 2007. There was certainly one fatality that certainly lived with me the rest of my life was a very, very sad and unfortunate fatality at Moranbar North in 2007 when Jason Lee, uh, a miner, was, was killed on the job. Um, I got to know his family personally, his mum and dad and his sister and certainly um, we've struck up a friendship out of such a tragic event um, and you know, and obviously his wife and his children as well but more the event that happened and then what uh, played after that and how, to be perfectly blunt, how ruthless the employer was and even the contractor Walters at the time um, wanting to shift blame and proportion blame to the workers um, out of a tragic event. So. It was horrific. Um, it had a ripple effect right across um, the mining sector, and even to this day, I still think that there is some of that um, outcome of, of that event that, that keeps people awake at night. Um, but certainly for me, it's something I'll never forget. And unfortunately, I attended a number of fatalities, a lot of serious accidents. Um, but also along the way, I, I think that, um, like all deck inspectors, I played my role in also stopping. Uh, things happening, I believe, and, and, and being able and being empowered to be able to make a stand on behalf of workers to, to ensure that they weren't put at risk. So, whilst you know the, the job was demanding and and sometimes very very um, oh, I hate to say, very sad, I guess in one sense, um, there's also the the back end of it where it can be rewarding um, when you're actually taking proactive steps to ensure workers are not put at risk in the workplace. And yeah. You know, as a union in Queensland, particularly we're 115 years old, um, we pride ourselves on being there protecting workers since the introduction of our union. Um, we'll continue to do that um, for as long as um, coal is mined in this country. So, stopping accidents before they happen is the number one duty of ISHRs. ISHR Jason Hill has enormous experience in the industry. Started at the coal face, worked my way up to being a deputy prior to this role as an industry safety and health representative. During that time, I was also at the mine I was working at, uh, which was the last working mine was Oakey North. I was elected as a SSHR for uh, 10, 11 years into that role prior to taking this role on. So, and during that time, obviously seen a, a little bit of a change in how um, Mining has progressed, you know, the difference changed between the old legislation and the new legislation and risk-based and how that has, has uh, developed over time. Tony Watson from the Northern Mining and Energy District also has deep roots in the mining industry. He's mined coal everywhere from Tarmore in the southwestern district 
to Narrabri in the north of New South Wales, to Ravensworth Underground in the Hunter. I come from a family of coal miners. Uh, my father, my grandfather and uh, my great-grandfather worked in the coal industry. In fact, my great-grandfather was killed in a mining accident in the Cessnock Coalfields. Um, and my son now works in an underground coal mine. So, and I've never worked in the other industry except the coal industry since I, since I was 18. I do have a start in an underground coal mine, have worked in an open cut coal mine for seven or eight years, and uh, then back into the underground environment. Uh, local checky for about 10 years at a mine, and have worked in numerous locations, the Newcastle coalfields, the Singleton coalfields, been out to uh, Mudgee, Lithgow, and the Gunnedah area. The role of check inspectors emerged in the Hunter Valley in the 1870s, and by 1915 in Queensland, there was formal statutory recognition in mine safety legislation. Back in the early 1900s, our position started in the coal mining industry. Around the 1915s, around there, where it was actually legislated, and um, basically we're independent of the mining companies and the mining regulator, and our job was originally to keep a check on the companies and the regulator as we were originally called check inspectors and that's where the term come from. Today we're called industry safety and health representatives. Again, we're still independent from mining companies and the regulator. And our job is basically inspect mines, investigate complaints. Uh, yeah, we, we sit on various committees representing, representing workers in the industry. Um, also engage with the inspectors um, and the regulators, if we think that they're doing something wrong, we will challenge them on that process. We also provide a um, structure to help and support train SSHRs. That's a big part of our role as well. We we provide you know what's regarded as best practice, uh, best training for safety reps in Australia. We also provide structured support for them and information dialogues through that process. Tony explains it's a very unique position. Yeah, it is unique, Tim. We're employed by the, the Mining and Energy Union. We're elected by the rank and file members, um, but we're appointed by the, the minister, the New South Wales Minister of the Government of the day when, um, when we take the role on and we're appointed to the role. So we represent everybody in the industry. Yeah, it is a unique position in that regard. Jason agrees. You know, we're there for a reason. We've been legislated in there, and this comes back from back in time through early 1900s and following disasters. That, that's why we we are in this position we're in. It also goes to show that you know, a lot of people say, "What does the union do for me?" Well, the union actually provides health and safety representatives to represent workers, and this is all all miners at the coal mines, and and to provide health and safety, you know, systems. We go to mines and do, deal with uh, inspections. We uh, deal with complaints from all coal mine workers. We have systems in place where we train SSHRs. We provide resources for SSHRs. We also provide advice to SSHRs. We're contactable 24-7 a day. Our role is to represent every coal mine worker in Queensland and to deal with any coal mine workers' complaints or issues in the state of Queensland now. And that's a very unique system and which the union provides for every coal mine worker in Queensland so people can't sit back and say the union does nothing for the industry, the union actually does a lot for the industry and 
and providing health and safety and being proactive with health and safety. Tony explains the powers he has under the Act. We've got a, a two notices that, that we can issue. One's a, a Section 30 a suspend operations notice. That notice is issued under the uh, WHS Mines Petroleum Sites Act, so that suspend the operation or, or part thereof, the operation. Obviously, that's not something that we, we do on a regular basis, but if need to, um, we have that we can use. And then we've got a Section 90 notice, which is a, a notice issued under the WHS Act. Um, and it's a provisional improvement notice, so yeah, that, that's looking at putting improvements into to what's going on. And we do planned inspections, incident and accident investigations, yeah, pretty, pretty broad. In Queensland, where this year there has been a number of incidents, Jason Hill says the role of the ISHR is more important than ever. The first six months of this year is probably the worst I've seen the industry in the time I've been in this role, in the last 11, 12 years. The significance of the incidents where the severity is pretty pretty high. You know, we're talking, you know, a matter of millimetres or inches where we could have been talking serious accidents, fatalities down that sort of line instead of near misses. It's uh, been pretty pretty tough six months this year in the industry. It, uh, it needs to turn around and we need to turn around now. I asked him what he's seeing on the ground. You know, just for example, you know, we've had rear dump trucks have, have uh, collisions with each other. We've had, you know, dozers full of stands where we've had people working around in the near vicinity that people have actually had to, have a common one we've had to run away from. It's very unsettling at the moment of the of the, of the time of the industry, I believe. it's There's a lot going on and it's not in a good position, I believe. Jason explained to me why he thinks incidents and just as worryingly near misses have spiked this year. There's pressure to get the job done. Risk management is bastardised and not used for the correct purposes. There's a lack of training or the training's not sufficient for the job. Change managements aren't done correctly. And you know, people are becoming fatigued with all the rosters that they are doing, you know, whether they like it or not, there is an element of fatigue presented in these uh, incidents. I asked Jason how the laws have changed in the last 20 years or so. You know, we go back to when the legislation changed. 2001, we went from prescriptive legislation to risk-based legislation. And the the legislation um, back then, everyone jumped on board, did risk management processes. A lot of good good work was done. A lot of change was implemented in the industry. But now, that risk management process is used for compliance and not health and safety. What we're seeing happen now with that risk management process is that the companies are doing risk management to get what they want or to implement something that is not the safest way of doing the job or not the safest plan for the job. It's just a matter of let's do a risk management for compliance to say we're going to be safe and not actually follow through with the risk management process. A lot of people go into a risk risk assessment now and it's all pre-populated. There's no uh, scoping documents issued to the people or participants in the risk assessment. For a risk-based legislation, risk management is the key to it and it's just being bastardised for compliance instead of actually being applied for the proper reasons, which is around health and safety. Obviously, in our legislation, you're required to work at an acceptable level of risk. Uh, Section 29 of the Act describes how you achieve an acceptable level of risk, and that's basically by doing a risk assessment. Now, if you can get the uh, control of the risk assessment and um, 
come back and say, well, this risk assessment comes back and says we're at an acceptable level of risk, you can um, just about do whatever you want. And that's instead of using doing the risk assessment for the right reasons, they're doing it for compliance. Because they're doing a risk assessment to say we've done a risk assessment, instead of saying we're going to do a risk assessment to achieve the right outcomes. Jason Hill explained to me how it used to work. Prior to that, it was, uh, there was no risk management. It was prescriptive legislation. So you had, to, you, had to, you had to comply with what was written in the legislation unless you had exemptions. I asked Jason which of the two systems was better. The legislation as it is now, if, if you're dealing with honourable men or honourable people, it is a good legislation if risk management is used for the proper purposes. But if you're not dealing with honourable people and risk assessment is um, bastardised, well then... Prescriptive legislation is probably better. I asked Tony Watson what safety tip he'd like to give to workers. Never assume that you know what somebody else is going to do around any piece of equipment. That's why we've got there's road rules in place. Once you start assuming that you think that you know what somebody else is doing, you are more likely to come unstuck there. So positive communication, line of sight, as I said, never assume. Tony says it's better to stop and ask a question than just carry on. I think it's important, Tim, that in the end with mine workers, whether they're on the ground uh, in a surface operation or that being an open cut or in a wash plant, if you're unsure, stop and ask. Don't just carry on regardless, thinking you're doing the right thing with all good intentions. That's the message we like to get out. If you're not sure, stop and go and find out. Steve Smythe says the job of an ISHR is rewarding but also challenging. It's a very rewarding job, I believe, in the context of um, standing up for workers, but particularly for our members and their families. And um, whilst it's rewarding, it's, it's very demanding at the same time. And, and there is a part of the job which which can be very difficult at times. Um, you know, you, you do attend a number of serious accidents, a number of fatalities. Um, some of those live with you, I can tell you, for the rest of your life, because there's a personal connection when it's a coal miner that loses their life by simply just going to work and not returning home. So I believe the the ISHRs do an amazing job in in the fact that they can actually be uh, a sense of comfort for the family and friends of these workers at times because they can tell them exactly what they believe went on. They then are driven and strive to ensure that the same incident doesn't happen again. And, and it's just generally overall, the role the ISHR plays is one I think is one of the most important roles within the union. And certainly within the mining sector, it's very unique and um, it's certainly something that the, M- the MEU and myself will certainly never ever um, step back away from um, to ensure that workers have protections and they have the right to elect their own people and have them represent them in the workplace. Tony says the job is very unpredictable. I asked him what a typical day in his life looks like. A day in the life where you can have a plan when you wake up. But, you know, we've obviously, we, we do our planned inspections of, of mines, so we, we plan them out, uh, notify the mine that we want to come and, and do a planned inspection. So that we've got them, incident, accident investigations, which the phone can ring at any time, night or day, so you've got to react to, that, to those type of things. You've got your administrative stuff that you've, you've got to do, so not really a nine to five job at all you know you're you're on call 24 7 which you know you don't come into this job not knowing that so you know you do your best to plan things out sometimes that doesn't always come off. Steve says safety is always the union's top priority. Yeah for me personally in the union health and safety is paramount. It is the number one 
part of any job and whilst the union's there for wages and conditions, because we totally understand that, at the end of the day, health and safety must always be held above that. Health and safety is non-negotiable. You may negotiate wages and conditions, but you'll never negotiate safety. And that's how I operate, that's how our union operates, and that's something we pride ourselves on. And um, we've got a mining sector, particularly in Queensland, where we've seen certainly a increase in the number of workers coming in, but at the same time we've seen an increase in the number of serious accidents. So our job's never done. We were vigilant each and every day, and we need to be empowering workers to stand up, speak out, and return home to the families each and every day. Steve says while the union provides ISHRs and training for SSHRs to make the industry safe, it's important every worker regards themselves as a safety inspector. Every worker is their own safety officer. I've always had that view in my 35 years. It was handed down to me by, by the, the older miners before that. Obviously, we live in a, in a different age, but certainly nothing has changed as far as how ruthless the boss is, how, how driven the boss is to get coal out of the ground. So, you know, that comes back to then the worker and workers being able to stand up if something's not right. Stand up, speak out, come home. Um, it's certainly paramount to each and every worker. So, you know, it starts with you as a worker. It's most important that the workers stand their ground and certainly it's a challenge. And, and, and the union certainly understands the challenge, but we need to be encouraging more workers to stand their ground, you know, and, and in the old days, a bit of old fashioned um, solidarity where, where you withdrew your labour in the event of a safety issue, certainly fixed a lot of the issues we wouldn't have today. So, you know, we've come a long way, there's been change, but we certainly shouldn't be forgetting what's most important, and that's where the workers need to take a stand and, and stand up for your rights. I asked Jason Hill where he thinks the industry would be without ISHRs. Oh, I think in this, the industry would be in a lot worse place. Who else is independent from both the companies and the regulator? You know, we're, we're solely here to represent the workers in the, in the mining industry. We deal with complaints from Coalmine workers anonymously where you know, there's no trust in the regulator, there's no trust in the companies. So, you know, where else can they go with that, that sort of issues? We go to sites, we deal, we go and do inspections, investigate these complaints for the workers. Yeah, no, I think the place or the mining industry, should say, would be in a much darker spot. And that's why, if you go back through the history, why, why we were legislated with a number of powers and functions to allow us to perform our job. Jason Hill, ending this episode of the Mining and Energy Union podcast. We'll have a fresh episode for you soon. Talk to you then.